Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast where I feed the most intriguing of people while asking them probing questions. We used to do it in terrific restaurants, but now as we're all in lockdown, we do it via video call and a terrific takeaway. In the past, I've often interviewed a guest that I know a little. Today, it's slightly different because I've known her for over 10 years. And as she's only 30, well, that means she was still in her teens when we met. But it is absolutely no surprise to me that she's now your actual star. It's the brilliant actress and singer known for her roles in Chernobyl, Beast, Judy and Wild Rose. It's Jessie Buckley. And he told me to read a book called Fuck It. (laughs) And so I did. (laughs) (laughs) And that's been my motto ever since. Jesse Buckley, as I live and breathe, what delight to see you. Welcome to Into Lunch. I'm How are you? <laughs> There's a drink in your hand and I'm suspecting that it's... Well, what have you I got? thought, because you know, from our, our relationship in, in, the, in the past, we, we've often met over a drink in the Ivy Club. <laughs> and so I thought it was only right to make a gin and tonic for myself and have a proper dinner. Can we specify that by relationship you mean oh, yes. our friendship rather <laughs> Where am I talking to you? Where are you right uh, I'm now? I'm currently in my sitting room. My flatmates kindly moved downstairs to the kitchen while I set up um, my culinary experience. While the virus has been going on, we've been having Saturday night dinner parties, but each weekend it's a different country. So last weekend we went to the very renowned, infamous restaurant called Me So Cute. <laughs> <laughs> And we made our own Japanese food and drank sake and had a wonderful time. Um, your bike, your your delivery bike is, oh, I'd say it's about two and a half, three minutes out. Oh, excellent. Just so you know. I'm so excited. I feel like it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> These are know, small, been... it's small pleasures during this difficult time. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> Are going you going to gonna get the same meal as me now? I have... A similar meal coming from a different place of the same culinary genre, mm. which is my way of being mysterious. Because I think we'll we'll do the reveal when your okay. when your bike turns up. Because you haven't got a clue what's no, coming. No, I have know. You? <laughs> so you do actually like your food. The fact that uh, we, I mean, we we have eaten things in each other's company before randomly. I think. Do you know what I have been thinking about the most random thing that I love you the most for of what you ate in my company? Yeah, go on. I think I just moved to London and you got popcorn ice cream at the Ivy, which was kind of like the most exotic thing that AI'd ever seen. And you were so in love with it that I was in love with it. And this popcorn ice cream, would we remember, we'd sit up on the counter and, and you'd eat it and I'd look at it lovingly. I'm sure I gave you some, didn't I? You did give me some as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to go back to that in a bit. I, I'm, I'm going to do what we do, which I'm going to start in the here and now. Okay. February the 2nd. You performed on the stage of the Royal Albert Hall at the BAFTAs, singing Glasgow. And you looked staggeringly comfortable (laughs) up there, which was amazing given just how few people there were with you. You had a guitarist and a double bassist, and it was beautiful. I mean, if you were in your comfort zone, tell me. Oh, my God, absolutely not. I mean, I was probably an emotional nightmare the week leading up to it. Because it's definitely one of the most scariest things I've ever done. But I love those musicians. I love Neil McCall and Ben Nichols. And I really wanted to um, have that moment with them. And in my head, I wanted to 
feel like I was singing in a pub <laughs> with those two brilliant guys. I want to ram it home what the audience was like because I watched the the footage again. I loved watching you do it because uh, you know you know how, how much of a fan of you I am and you're singing. The cutaways were to uh, Pacino, De Niro. Hugh Grant, when you get to Olivia Colman, you think, oh, it's just Olivia Colman. I was Colm. absolutely shitting myself all week. <laughs> um, and I woke up on that morning and I said, if I don't enjoy this, I'm an Egypt. And to be honest, I'm much more comfortable in that space than I call like doing a red carpet. There for me, the terror carpet. <laughs> so did he prefer to actually have oh, a job? Yeah, that night, it was brilliant. A, a, a and thing I, I to got do to rather kind of than just to sit there with and... my friends backstage and have a packet of crisps after we <laughs> sang in a glass of champagne and <laughs> went out for the end of it and had a lovely night. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fantastic all round. I want to go back to I'd Do Anything, Yeah, um, the, the TV series. How does 17-year-old Jesse Buckley from Killarney decide to enter? Well, it wasn't really anything ruthlessly considered. I was struggling with depression and I kind of didn't really know where I was going. One of the teachers in school who I had done all my plays with had said, oh, they're doing a new show. Andrew Lloyd Webber's doing a new show. You should do it. And I was like, well, I don't don't know. Anyway, I went to Guildford audition and I didn't get in and was absolutely heartbroken. Let's be clear, the the Guildford course is the musical theatre course in the UK, isn't it? I don't think there is, I mean, everywhere, a lot of drama schools have an element of musical theatre, but that Guildford course is the one, isn't it? It's like a specific one, yeah. That and Mountview are are probably the the ones that produce the most musical theatre people. Anyway, the next day, I was staying with some family friends in Surrey, and the next day there was an open audition in the county hall, I think, on the South Bank. I really didn't think anything of it. I thought it would be a practice for my next audition for Mountview and nothing more than that. Yeah, I should say that the judges were Andrew Lloyd Webber, Cameron McIntosh. Was John Barrowman on that yeah, one? Yeah, he was. Or not? Yeah. This was a talent show uh, in which they were going to cast someone to play Nancy in a stage production of Oliver. And it finished with you and Jodie Prenger having to sing um, As Long As He Needs Me against each other. Uh, both of you sang the same song, as I recall. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And then you lost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. And Lloyd Webber and, and yeah, no, well, you know, <laughs> Lloyd Webber and Macintosh both made it very clear that they were extremely disappointed. In retrospect, and then we'll move on. Was it a brilliant thing that you didn't actually win? In hindsight, it, it, it's part of my story, and that's that's brilliant. Oh, I think somebody's knocking. Okay, go for it. So, uh, do you like Vietnamese food? I love Vietnamese food. I really love Vietnamese food. So I have got you a takeaway from Kai Tre over there in Shoreditch, um, because there's a lot of little Vietnamese restaurants up that way. And so you've got a green papaya salad with a vinaigrette, roasted peanuts and marjoram. These are your starters. Delicious. And we're stocking your fridge, basically. Summer rolls of prawns, daikon and, and Vietnamese herbs and some salt and pepper prawn. Ooh. 
So I've got a takeaway from a place called Ban Ban, uh, which is down here near me. There's two branches, one in Brixton, one in Peckham. They've just reopened the Peckham one for takeaway. And going on what I've got, I, I would hardly recommend it, which I think is actually what I'm supposed to do as a job, recommend restaurants, isn't it? I've got a papaya salad, mine with prawns, topped with peanuts and crispy shallots and some little crackers, which is looking rather gorgeous, I have to say. And some ground beef in beetle leaves and some sticky chicken wings. So... You you come out the back of I'd Do Anything. Yeah. You get cast in A Little Night Music, directed by Trevor Nunn. Yeah. So the way we met, to put it on the record, it then transfers to the West End yeah. uh, in the spring of 2009. Um, I looked up the date, so you were still 19. And when um, the cast are in their, their plays, they get extended membership to the Ivy Club. Yeah. I need to set the scene for this. The Ivy Club is a an appalling members club full of awful people, but brilliant cocktails. Above the Ivy. This is a very nice place. I, I was a member for 10 years. I'm not sure if I am anymore, but anyway, because uh, it's closed in the current circumstances. And Joe Thompson and I had been at university together 35 years ago, and he was the man responsible for getting me into music um, <laughs> and playing live and gigging and all of that. So you come in, and Joe loves playing with singers. Yeah. And sometimes it just passes by and then sometimes it stops the room. Do you remember? Yeah. Well, first of all, like, I felt like I was in The Great Gatsby in my head, you know? Like, it was a kind of extraordinary... I think the Ivy Club had just opened and there was kind of a firework of energy in that place where people would, like, get up or you'd have, like, opera singers one night and people from the music scene was very very serious very important and they were top musicians yeah 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 or dancers or i remember there would be nights where the whole kind of room people would be on tables singing cabaret all together and twinkles be like flying or whatever um a twinkle being a champagne cocktail with vodka and elderflower and absolutely lethal and completely delicious And I would say the same for Joe is that Joe introduced me to music in a different way to what I'd experienced before. Um, and I remember the f- that first night when I did sing to him afterwards, it was about one o'clock or whatever. And he came out and he did his little card and he was like, oh, I'd really like to like keep singing with you. And from then on in, we went on a really, like really important special musical journey at that point of my life and I owe him a lot. The thing I didn't realise and I'm ashamed of this is that you have grade 8 in piano. Yeah, don't be ashamed. I I can play those grade 8 pieces well. I can't play anything else very well. (laughs) But it's not the only instrument you play, is it? Well, mum's a harpist and a singer so we grew up with a lot of music in our house and so I played the harp and was in the Glen Eagle Marching Band, which was the social suicidal point of my life, <laughs> where I would walk. You were I in would a marching mar- band. I was in the Glen Eagle Marching Band. And every Sunday I was with my clarinet, with some form of ligature or apparatus missing, march around the car parks in Clarny with a stand <laughs> by... <laughs> No, 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 please laugh. It is incredibly laughable. <laughs> I think... I would be forever grateful for my parents for giving us the gift that they would just give us experiences and uh, an energy to go into things wholeheartedly and, you know, no, no kind of pressure of a long term thing, but just pure joy of experience. 
How are your summer rolls from Kai Trade? Oh, me? Oh, the summer rolls were absolutely delicious. And I, I'm a very big fan of peanuts, any kind of nut, nut situation added into food. I really like crunchy things as well. So There's lots of good crunchy things. There's a lot of crunchiness um, going on. I mean, at that time, it was all, you know, we are, we are going back almost 10 years now. In fact, I think we probably are. From the outside, it was all going brilliantly. You had acquired an agent, Kate Winslet's agent. You were gigging, you'd done some shows, you were being seen. And I remember sitting next to you at the bar at the Ivy and saying, so what, what's the plan? What are you going to do? And you said, I'm going to go to Rada. <laughs> and I I kind of sat back and said, what? What you said back was, I want to be 20. Yeah. It, it seemed an extraordinary thing, an incredibly mature thing as well to do, to step away and say, this has all gone brilliantly and now I'm going to go and get trained. What, what, was it, what was in your head? It wasn't surely just about hanging around with people your own age. I wanted to be part of a community of people who were my own age and I wanted to read lots. I, I felt like I had a peripheral, raw feeling regards to working and my industry and... That rawness is incredibly useful, but I also felt a bit naive to, you know, and that I needed to spend some time to get, A, to know myself, but also get to know myself enough so that I had an idea about how I could add something into the world that I loved, which was unique to me, and nurture that. Was it not slightly odd that you'd already, you know, performed, you'd been in the West End, were the tutors willing to accept the experience you'd had or did they try to put you back in yeah, your box they, some did and some didn't there were some brilliant brilliant teachers there like John Peskitza who was my acting coach was incredibly fantastic like amazing you know I had had some financial help from this beautiful friend of mine called Tony throughout RADA but I also had been working since I was 17 so I had a certain sense of responsibility to like earn money so that I could just live in London so I did work in my holidays so that I could kind of fund what were you doing I was gigging at a certain point people in Rada didn't like that um (laughs) and I did get a firm rap on the knuckles and you basically got told to stop gigging didn't you yeah, yeah. Well, I got suspended and <laughs> from Rada. Um, and seriously, I didn't know that you got suspended because you were doing the thing you were training to do. Yeah. Well, you're not meant to really work. It was the most conducive way for me to be able to <laughs> do well, my cool. training and also work in between. And music and singing was such a massive part of me, and to feel like you were kind of being given out to because of that was really difficult for me. And I, I had horrible panic attacks in the end of my second year and I remember going to this teacher and saying I just don't think I will be the best actress because I feel watched and he really I really am grateful for him because he said if you leave they win (laughs) and uh and he told me to read a book called fuck it (laughs) and so I did (laughs) and that's been my motto ever since (laughs) You went and you did, you know, serious stuff. You were in Kenneth Branagh's company in A Winter's Tale. How was that? It was brilliant. You know, like you've got Judy Dench, who I have always just kind of looked at as being somebody that I would like to be when I grow up, which I'm sure a lot of people would like to be like Judy Dench when they grow up. Um, and it was a really lovely company. And I love 
the family. Like, this is my family. Especially in theatre, because you're in a kind of mesh pit every night and you get together and you make a pact to, like, for two and a half hours to put every ounce of yourself into giving something to people that you can't even see, you know? <laughs> and and I, <laughs> I, I, I love, I've loved everybody... <laughs> Maybe not everybody, but most of the people that. <laughs> you don't have to love most everybody. Of the people that... So here we are in 2020. We're in the midst of lockdown, it has to be said. But some amazing roles have come your way, or you've made amazing choices. The brilliant performance in Chernobyl, where essentially the character you were playing had to represent the hardship of the entire Ukrainian people. That was. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, that's. Uh, no, what I, mean, what I mean is, it's not. It's 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 not to kind of. I thought there was a. I, I watched every episode with you know a jaw slack. It's amazing, amazing um, drama. If you haven't seen Chernobyl, you really have to. You're brilliant, better at saying her name, Maria Ludmila Ignatenko. That's it. And she is the wife of a firefighter who works on the reactor when it goes up. It's an extraordinary story. Yeah. Were you aware of much of it before you went into that? I think I was probably aware as much as everybody else was aware of the word of Chernobyl. I didn't know really the ins and outs of what had happened. And um, Craig Mason, who wrote the script, and and um, Johan Renk, who directed it, and, and the book that it's based on by Svetlana Alexeyevich, Chernobyl Voices, was just like, it was completely eye-opening and, and we need confidence and ego and pride in order to make things happen but the fact that man isn't bigger than nature ultimately and that these huge tragedies can have such a ginormous effect on on a mass amount of people it was humbling and awakening and it was a really powerful thing to be part of when a script like that comes your way are you immediately aware could could you could you see that it was going to be a very big thing? What goes on? You never really know that things are going to like take off. You know, like it's a political tragedy. It's not like it's a kind of escapist rom com. <laughs> so you don't like you Chernobyl, genuinely. You, you, I think you when, when I read it first, you're struck by the honesty of it and the power of that honesty, which affects you. So you're hoping to bring that to light. I actually love audition. I love auditioning and I love reading scripts. And, and I guess what I look when you're doing something like... You must know you're a rare creature then because you must have had that conversation with actors who hate auditioning. Even if you don't get it, I think they're little gifts. <laughs> like you get, to, you get to read these brilliant scripts by these brilliant people and you get to have somebody's life cross across your path for four days of your life and in the hope that you'll be able to live with them a little bit longer. When you got the script for Beast, um, that was a 2017 film, and I think there, there's sort of a view that that was a breakthrough for you. Were you up against loads of people for that role? Do you want to explain what Beast was to those who haven't seen it? Beast was it's a, a film written by Michael Pierce. It was his first feature and it was the first film that I ever did. And it was a psychological thriller, romantic thriller about a girl called Mal from the island of Jersey off in the Channel Islands who falls in love with a, a wayward man played by Johnny Flynn. I'd say I've met a script like that maybe 
three times in my work life. And, I, and I'm sure I was up against many brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. And I really, I, I really fought for that. How do you fight for a role in an audition? It's always seen as a one-sided sort of power play. They, they <laughs> sit there, they have the power of, of deciding. I mean, is that another Kalani thing? We just knock on you. the door. <laughs> I'll fight you. I'll fight you I've got a horse outside. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I don't. You know, I, you can't physically fight. Like you don't fight anybody. Oh, you can give it a try. Love. Maybe it's more of a fight <laughs> in yourself. Of like, I kept that script under my mattress for months until I'd got it. That's fantastic. So maybe it was like a more of a internal fight, you know. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Do you want to move on to another dish? Yeah. I'll tell you what the other two you've got. I'm just basically trying to feed you. Um, <laughs> you have got, there's some wok fried egg noodles with mixed seafood. Oh, yeah. And there's some Vietnamese caramelised braised catfish. Oh, catfish. And fish sauce and pepper. In front of me, I've got thick tapioca rice flour noodles tossed with herbs, bean sprouts and tofu mix drenched in a coconut cream dressing, which is vegan, from, that's from Ban Ban. I've got nice mushrooms and squid, green things, chilli. Well, we like those. We like those. They always add to the gaiety of nations. You know, when you're looking at somebody's life from the outside, you only see the roles they get. There must have been some you didn't get along the way. Oh, yeah, loads. (laughs) I think there's been certain points where I was gutted. Like, uh, there's one, yeah, where at the time I was gutted, but... I don't know. You're going to tell us what? Or are you going to bury the pain? I was auditioning for Janice Joplin and oh. I hadn't really met her fully. Like I had listened kind of to her music, but I hadn't really. And it didn't, it just didn't work out. And, and, but I that was sad about pain, that. Actually. I was very sad about uh, that. So am I. You would have been an absolutely <laughs> astonishing Janice Joplin. <laughs> I mean, there's been lots of, there's been lots of stuff that you've done and it's um, obviously War and Peace. I think was possibly the moment when a lot of television audiences in the UK got to see you do your thing. There was a moment when I stopped in a tube station and there was a poster for Wild Rose with you about five feet, you know, top to bottom. And it was the least surprising moment uh, from the moment moment I met you. You know, it was just, oh, right, it's finally happened. That role does seem like it could have been written for you. For anybody who's not had the good taste to see this movie, it's about a young Glaswegian woman who loves country and wants to be a country singing star. We meet her as she's coming out of prison in Glasgow. Her kids are being brought up by her her own mum, played by Julie Walters. Julie Walters! I know! Uh, And it is a... 
It's a brilliant movie. I, I, I was, and I think you were, a little surprised to see you embrace country in the way you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I didn't like country music at all before I started the film. But I think I'd only heard a certain version of it. And then the musicians that I had worked with on the film, and before we started shooting, we kind of bottled up to this shed in North London and sit and I kind of learnt it there amongst them with through Amy Lou Harris and Bonnie Raitt and um, Dolly, of, of, of course, um, and Hank Williams and John Prine. And they introduced me to the stories of country music, mostly. When it comes to getting on top of an accent like that, how much work did you have to do? Did you do the full method thing of going and living in Glasgow and trying to pass yourself off? Yeah. About a month before I started filming, I kind of based myself in Glasgow and we would meet up and walk around and I'd speak Glaswegian and go into certain coffee shops and try and get away with buying a pint of milk or whatever coffee in Glaswegian. Did anybody pull you up on it when you went into the coffee shops to try and get a pint of milk? If they did, I probably was too nervous that they might. (laughs) That I probably didn't give them a chance to... (laughs) Um, but no, they didn't. What was it like being on set with Julie Waters? Oh, like just bloody glorious. <laughs> but she's really like down to earth and she's just there with you, you know. There's no like airs or graces and wants to make each scene as alive as possible, but also up for a laugh and a cup of tea and a packet of, a packet of crisps, which is the most important thing on a set. <laughs> A packet of crisps. Well, no, maybe not crisps. There's just endless biscuits. There's endless biscuits and tea. I drink more tea and coffee on a set than I ever do anywhere else in my life. Now, you, you've, um, we can say now that you've been in Chicago shooting Fargo, yeah. the series, haven't you? And that pretty much was what you were taken off when this whole crisis happened. How long had you been out there for? We were communicating when you were in Chicago. I was out there nearly six months. Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. How do you take to that? Because you are someone, I, I know you're someone who, you're very close to your family, you're close to your mates. Yeah. Is that tricky? It is hard. Chicago's hard during the winter as well. It's very cold. Oh yeah, it's a bloody cold city. It's beautiful and has like an amazing history and music and food. Like the food there was brilliant. Um, but it's a quite a like, it's it's a bit like a Glasgow of New, of America, you know. It's, it's an industrial city. Mm. I think I've realised that I really love and need nature <laughs> or your friends, your family or your fellow or whatever. It's 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 hard. Yeah. Because um, when when you did come back because of Covid, you that you went back to Kalani. You sent me photographs of the hills. And were, I mean, absolutely extraordinary. West of Ireland. It was the first time I've been home since I left. I was home for like six weeks. Um, oh, well, seriously, since since you left to do uh, do anything, yeah, yeah, I've been home for that long for that long length and of got, time. Is it two sisters or two I've got sisters three and a younger sisters and a brother? Yeah, Blimey. and we live like Clarny, where I live, is completely magical, and I I I love London, and I consider London my home now, um, but. Ireland and the nature and the wildness of it is in my heart. And I really, really miss that. And I think I, there's part of me that's probably 
looking for that. But I think I've just got used to you. You do have to adapt all the time to different cities or cultures or characters or parts, you know, which I love. I think that would be my greatest fear if I was like in a very stable circumstance <laughs> that would fill me with utter dread. That might be the worst thing God that could us. ever happen to me. <laughs> By the way, have you um, got to the catfish yet? Yeah. The, the, I'm, I'm making my it? way through this <laughs> quite quickly and in, in with huge enjoyment. Well, I wasn't expecting any restraint, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> we haven't talked about Judy at all. So in Judy, you played late career Judy Garland's assistant yeah. to Renny Zellweger. What, how was that experience? I think I grew up, like lots of people, I feel like Judy Garland was the red curtains that I looked behind into this world. And one of the first films that I ever saw was Meet Me in St. Louis that my dad brought back. And, and at different points, she's just been this pillar of, of what this whole thing is to me so it was and to see Renee be that and and be part of that was completely it, it felt like a, a kind of a full circle um in in lots of ways you know how to get inside those songs was it kind of curious to watch um Zoe sing them were no. you on set when she uh yeah did yeah those scenes well I, yeah at different times I was it was glor. It was amazing. I mean, she's amazing, and she's a yeah, she is. She's a completely beautiful, generous soul. Like she would sing that end song in the film somewhere over over the rainbow, like her lifeblood depended on it. And then she flopped out, and then they'd say cotton. She'd flop down onto the stage, and she'd natter to all the extras like they were their her aunts and uncles. And then they go, okay, action, and she'd get up again and give that performance on that scene as well. Like Michael Gambon was in the scene, and and we were just watching her, and he just turned to me, and and I don't I I don't know if he thought we were still in the scene or if he was being we <laughs> like turned to me was like. Who is that girl? She's incredibly special. And and he had tears coming out of his eyes and I had tears coming out of my eyes. And, you know, little moments like that are, are, that's what you live for is like a bit of magic. And I've always loved watching, I, even when we were doing A Winter's Tale with Judy or Henry V, I would always come down and sit in the wings and, and watch Judy and watch Jude or Ken or or whatever do their thing and, and eavesdrop, you know, on on these little magical moments that are unique to that moment. Is that to learn the craft or to in, just to enjoy the performance? Probably both. I mean, I'm <laughs> there's lots, most of the people in our job, I just think, how do you do that? <laughs> how are you doing that? And also what's amazing about those people like Renee and, and Judy and Jude, they they make you forget even asking that question, and and all of a sudden you're just one of the audience or one of the people opposite them. In preparation, solely in preparation for interview, I watched Misbehaviour two nights ago. Yeah, I don't know if you would agree with this, but that character struck me as being closer to you than many of them. So Misbehaviour is about the 1970 Miss World final. Yeah, won by Miss Grenada. And the protest of the women's liberation movement 
Um, and it's a great movie. I enjoyed it hugely. There seemed to be a... a, 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 a or was it just simply that your, your hair was like yours? It <laughs> was for a long time. Is that what it was? You, it hair, model zone. It probably was my hair. I often say I can't act, I just change my hair. That's generally my <laughs> method of madness. Um, she probably had this uh, similar fieriness I would maybe say <laughs> in what ways did you think we were similar apart from my hair um, well the, the hair was there but also a kind of um in your face element <laughs> as in you don't take you don't take bull, bullshit from anybody and you're, you're you're very clear and direct I mean that in the best possible way uh, uh, you don't stand on ceremony uh yeah maybe not now <laughs> oh is that what it is I don't know. And you also did a great, you did a great Yorkshire accent. I, I, I did love the moment at the end, uh, which was, uh, you know, kudos to the writer and director, where you turn and look at yourself, the the person you're yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those women are completely, I mean, they, it was a joy to like meet the real Joe Robinson and all of them and hear their stories about where where they were coming from at that point in their life. And yeah, and I guess with all the characters that I've ever played, what I love is they kind of just walk across your heart and leave a little kind of tattoo on it. You know, I don't, I think I'm probably just a big oh, that's fat good. mess of lots of different people <laughs> at this stage. Um, I like doing graffiti. That was good fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you were spraying a billboard. I think it was in a back street in Farringdon, wasn't it? I think it was yeah. just behind where the Guardian's offices used to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Exactly where Not it sorry. was. Did they have to keep reposting it, or did they have a way of wiping the graffiti off so you could do the shot again? No, it was just it was one poster that you had, like, one time to do it. So, oh, really? Yeah. Well, thank fuck you got it right. I think I actually didn't, and then... They somehow fudged. They made it work. So we have to talk about what 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 was meant to be next. What's coming next? You were meant to do Juliet, weren't you, at the National? Yeah. Who was directing? Uh, Simon Godwin, lovely Simon Godwin, was directing, and my great, brilliant friend Josh O'Connor is to play Romeo. Um. Yeah. We kind of don't really know what's going to happen. I. I'm. I was really. I'm really excited about going back into the theatre and doing that and doing that there and doing it with Josh, who I really wouldn't want to do with anybody but him. Um, so I hope it, it will happen at some point. When that will be, I don't really know. It's it's kind of a really scary time for theatres, I guess. And Oh, yeah. I can't imagine over a thousand people will be bottling into the National Theatre anytime soon. Um, but... When it, it when we can, I really hope that I'll still be able to do it. Otherwise, I'll be a real <laughs> right old hag by the time I get. Well, you think you might get too old for Juliet? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you've got a couple of years I to pass. <laughs> so, and I, I know this will make you blush, but I will say it. So, when we all met you, and I think Lloyd Webber has said it as well. You know, if 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 somebody had said to us then, this is what will happen to Jessie Buckley ten years down the line because she's she's got it, none of us would have been surprised. Are you surprised? Yeah, I'm absolutely surprised. 
Yeah. Thank God you said that because you'd have been a monster if you said otherwise. Um, yeah, it's madness. Jesse, it, it has been absolutely lovely to share lunch with you. It's oh. not the way we were planning. No, but we'll do it again. I think we'll probably do it again. Yeah. And, not like, you know, this, but just normally. And and when we do, the twinkles will be on me, okay? Okay. Is that all right? Um, yeah, I'll buy you twinkles. All right, then. Um, so all that remains... It's for me to say, Jesse Buckley, thank you for staying in for lunch with me. It's been an absolute joy. As I have to say, I knew it would be. I was really looking forward to this as an old, loving friend of yours. And I hope we have more out to lunch in lunches again. <laughs> That's brilliant. Could you read the script one more time? And this time, if you can... <laughs> <laughs> There is nothing like catching up with an old friend over a cracking lunch, which is exactly what that was. And if you live in London and want to try the food we had for yourself, Jesse's Vietnamese lunch came from Kai Tre in Shoreditch and mine came from Ban Ban in Peckham and both are available via Deliveroo. And if you're hungry for more, there are lots of other episodes, including from series one and two of Out to Lunch, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could manage a, I don't know, a five-star review as well, well, that would just be perfect. Out to Lunch is a something else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer was Jemima Rathbone. The producer is Selena Ream, and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's Manchester United and England football star turned TV pundit and businessman. It's Gary Neville. I, I, I love football less today than I did six weeks ago, and I've not seen a match. And that's a big thing for me to say. I love football less than I did six weeks ago.